Well, good morning again, church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. As we take time to continue our worship, let's bow in prayer. Um, Father, we come before you this morning just full of gratitude and thanksgiving for you, for who you are, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you promised to do. Lord, in uh, light of the songs we just sang, we declare that you are the great I am. We thank you uh, for who you are, Lord, and the blessing that is in our lives. Father, as we continue our worship in your word, we pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds, that you would speak directly to us in regards to what you have for us. Allow us to not just be informed, but transformed by the truths therein. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If a warning label had to be placed on the Bible, I believe it would read something like this. Warning, inductive Bible study can be habit-forming. Putting the principles into practice can cause loss of anxiety, decreased appetite for lying, cheating, stealing, and hating. Putting the principles into practice can also cause symptoms of growing sensations of love, peace, joy, and compassion. It's literally a book that will change your life from the inside out. Uh, This morning, before we open our Bibles, I wanted to invite us to ponder a question together. If someone were to ask you, and I'm sure perhaps someone has asked you in the past, it could be a believer or an unbeliever, if they were to come to you and they were to ask you, why do you choose to ground your faith in the Word of God? Why do you choose to build your life on the truth of God's Word? What would you say? And this morning, that's the topic I want to talk about. I want to invite you to the letter of 2 Peter. We find ourselves in chapter 1. As we continue through, we'll be in verses 12 to 21 together. And I want to talk about why it's worth it, why it's worth it to ground your faith and to build your life on the truths found in the Word of God. As you make your way there in your Bible, Second Peter is a letter written to believers in order to warn them about dangers on the inside of the church. Uh, in chapter one, Peter is encouraging believers about the and warning believers about the danger of moral compromise. And throughout chapter one, Peter encourages these believers to pursue spiritual unity. Peter already reminded these believers that God has given them everything they need for life and godliness in regards to his divine power. You know the divine power of God that spoke the world into existence? The divine power of God that raised Christ from the dead, that's available to us and has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Peter went on to go and say that because of that, we are encouraged to grow in spiritual maturity. Don't just have faith, but but grow in your faith, add to your faith. And he listed seven qualities we are to add to our faith, knowing this truth that we have everything we need in Christ Jesus for life and godliness. Well, as we continue to walk through our text, something we're going to see this morning is that a marker of spiritual maturity is having the conviction that God's word is worth building our lives upon and grounding our faith in. As we walk through our text together, let's consider why it's worth exactly that. Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Uh, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father their Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place until the light of day dawns. 
and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord, you all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. This morning, I want to take some time to talk about why is it worth it to ground our faith and to build our lives on the truths found in God's word. This morning, I'd like to begin in verses 12 to 15 to share the reason God's word is worth it, because God's word is worth remembering and being reminded of. God's word is worth remembering and being reminded of. Uh, Peter introduces us to this first principle by introducing to us his responsibility to do just that. This morning, I'd like to encourage us in light of verses 12 to 15 as we walk through them to to be reminded of our need for the ministry of being reminded of the truths of God's word and that we at the same time would share in the ministry of reminding others of the truths found in God's word as well. Peter introduces his responsibility first by connecting it to the previous 11 verses that we introduced at the beginning of our time together. There in the first 11 verses, if you recall, Peter informed believers of a very important truth, a truth that you and I need to be reminded of again and again and again, that God's divine power has provided us everything we need for life and for godliness. I don't know about you, but I need that reminder daily. I need that reminder weekly. I need that reminder as I'm going about the things that occur in my life. I need to be reminded of that truth. But then Peter, in the first 11 verses, not only informed them of the truth, encouraged them to apply the truth. If God has provided you everything you need for life and godliness, pursue spiritual maturity. Don't just exercise faith and have faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Add to it. Add virtue, moral excellence. Add knowledge. Add perseverance and steadfastness. Add godliness. He adds those seven qualities as we pursue spiritual unity. And so having informed us of the truth and encouraged us to apply the truth, Peter now says for this reason, he wants us to be reminded of the truth as he reveals his responsibility to do just that. And so Peter introduces it by connecting it to the previous 11 verses, and then he introduces his responsibility by defining it and describing his commitment to it. Peter says, for this reason, I will not be negligent In other words, this is my commitment. I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Peter is not saying, I'm just going to remind you of them sometimes. Peter is saying, I'm going to remind you of them always, consistently, again and again and again, because you need those reminders. This morning, I would like to pause here for just a moment and encourage us if there are people that you have in your life or who have had in your life who have been committed to reminding you of the truths of Scripture in the past or the present, if they're currently in your life, continue to invest in those relationships and continue to have conversations with those individuals. We need people to remind us of the truths of God's Word. When I think of people who have reminded me of the truths of God's word throughout my life, I think of parents, godly parents who from the beginning of my life poured into me the truths of God's word. I think of a mother who set a good example for me as I was growing up, as she continues to do today, uh, not in a, a way of just saying, hey, I'm reading the Bible, but just by leading by example, day by day, moment by moment, reading the word. I think of a father I only had at the first 11 years of my life, but his impact continues to uh, be there for me today. A father who committed to not just reading the word daily, but, but highlighting certain passages of scripture. And I've actually got his Bible in my office where he highlighted certain scriptures again and again and again because he needed to be reminded of those scriptures and I need to be reminded of those scriptures even to this day. I think of my father on Sunday mornings. He was the kind of guy, before we went to church, we were already listening to another service on the radio. And so as he's making his toast and he's got garlic on there, I don't know why he always ate garlic in the morning because you're going to church, it's gonna make your breath smell. 
But as he's cooking his, his breakfast there and, and toasting his bread there, he's listening to the word of God. I can still hear the Moody Bible Church as Erwin Lutzer is preaching the word of God Sunday morning prior to actually going to worship service. If you had parents who have been committed to reminding you of the truths of scripture, whatever age or stage you may be at in your life, continue to lean in to those relationships or thank God for those people who have invested. I don't just think of parents, I think of peers. I think of those that God has put in your circles of influence throughout your life within the church or outside of the church, but believers who have been there <coughs> nonetheless. I think of, of folks like my siblings, my brother who was always there for me. He's always pointing me back to the word of God even to this day. I think of friends who have been always available. I think of pastors from the earliest age who were not just committed to teaching the word, but teaching the word expositionally taking time to talk about the context and go through books of the Bible and to encourage us in the truths of God's word. And these are people who have reminded me of the truths of God's word. And I pray that those people that you have in your life, you would continue to keep them near and dear and continue to invest in them. Peter, he introduces his responsibility by sharing his commitment and defining his role that I'm not going to be negligent from reminding you of the truths of Scripture. But thirdly, he also describes their strengths. He says to them, listen, I know that I'm reminding you, but I want you to know that I'm not doing so because you're ignorant of the truth. I'm not doing so because you're not established in the truth. Peter goes on to say, you know the truth and you are established in the truth. But the reason my responsibility is to remind you of the truth is so that you would continue to know it and you would continue to be established in it. It's great to be a part of a church who values the word of God, who comes under the instruction of it, who believes truly that God's word is more than a, a man-made book. No, it is inspired by the living God. It is profitable for all things. And as a church who knows the word and is grounded in the truths of the word, we all the more need to be reminded of the truths therein and continue to be established in it. It only takes one generation for a church to go extinct. It only takes one generation for a church to no longer be reminded of the truths of Scripture or the minister no longer to remind the people of the truths of Scripture. It only takes one generation from parents to children to no longer teach the truth of God's Word and to establish their children in the truth of God's Word. And so we need to be reminded of it again and again and again. Peter goes on to describe his responsibility by means of sharing it as a conviction. Peter says this in verse 13, yes, I think it is right. Peter says, I think it's good. It's a good thing that I exercise this ministry. Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent. And he's talking about his tent. He's talking about his body. It's an interesting way to think about your body. It's a, a tent, a temporary residence that you have. Now, we know one day we're going to have a glorified body. Peter says, as long as I am in this tent, as long as I'm in this body, as long as there is breath in my lungs, you will not stop from hearing me declaring you the truth of God's word and reminding you of it again and again and again. We need some faithful parents who will stand for the truth of God's word and say to their children, whatever age or stage they may be in, or their children's children, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and as long as there is breath in my lungs, I'm going to declare the truth of God's word to you again and again and again. We need faithful men and women to continue to do that in the lives of one another, encouraging one another in the things of God's word. And he says this, to stir you up by reminding you. So what's the purpose of reminding believers of the truths of God's word? Reminding others that God is placed in our circle of influence. The reason is to stir us up. That word stir up means to awaken, to arouse from sleep, from our spiritual slumber, to wake up and to get moving, to stir up us, us up to love and good deeds. 
Don't just have a faith, add to your faith. Add to your faith those things that will allow you to pursue spiritual maturity. Be reminded of those precious promises, those exceedingly great promises that allow us to be partakers of the divine nature. Not becoming little gods, as the first 11 verses told us, but by means of being conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Peter describes his conviction. My prayer is we would have the same conviction. The conviction of our need to be reminded of the truths of God's word again and again and again. And the conviction that we need to exercise our ministry and responsibility to share the truths of God's word with those God has placed in our circles as well. Peter goes on to say in, in, in verse 14, he describes the urgency of the responsibility, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Peter knows that his life is drawing to an end. Whether the Holy Spirit has impressed it on his heart or he's now growing older in age, he knows the words that Jesus spoke to him when Jesus Christ restored him. After Jesus rose from the dead, if you recall, and Peter had denied Jesus three times. Uh, Jesus took time with Peter in John chapter 21 to restore him, and he says, Peter, three times, do you love me? Peter says, I love you. And Jesus says three times, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And then he says these words, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. In other words, you were free Free to go wherever you want and do what you want, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. In other words, you will be imprisoned and your life will be taken from you. You will become a martyr for the faith that you believe in. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You know, an interesting interview I once uh, heard about was a, a woman who was a well-known individual, and as a well-known individual, she was being interviewed by the local news because she not only had cancer, but it was terminal, and they asked her, how is it that, that you have received this news? What is it like to know that your case is terminal? And she said this, we're all terminal. Some of us recognize it, others don't. The reminder this evening is our life is brief and precious. Stand with the conviction that you are going to receive the reminder of the truth of God's word and share the truth of God's word with as many people as possible. Listen, folks, we're not promised tomorrow. And so we need to be reminded today to seize the opportunity to pour into those around us, especially the next generation. If you've got children or your children's children or your children's children's children, to pour in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's Peter's commitment, and he concludes it, wrapping it up, sharing his responsibility, not to neglect this, verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter says, this is my legacy. Your legacy is that thing that outlives you. Whether you realize it or not, one day you will not be here anymore. But my prayer is while that you may not be here, the word of God that you shared, the word of God that you proclaimed, and the word of God that you reminded others about would continue to live on. Men and women come and go, but the word of God is eternal. And Peter understands this truth. For Peter, of course, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. As he's penning first and second Peter, he's penning scripture. He's not just writing his opinion or his experiences. He's, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, communicating the truths of God's word that will continue to live on. But not only that, Peter's legacy will live on through those whom he discipled and those whom he mentored, men like John Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, others who came under Peter. Now, Peter is not making disciples of him. 
Peter is making disciples of Jesus Christ. When we take time to disciple others, we're not doing so in order that they might be followers of us. We do so so that they may be followers of Jesus Christ. And so when you're gone and you have your children who will live on, you may not be here anymore, but I pray that God's word would be rooted and grounded in their hearts. That they would see, yeah, God's word is worth it. God's word is worth grounding my faith in. And God's word is worth building my life upon. And the reason is because God's word is worth remembering and being reminded of. Can I encourage us as a church to continuously be reminded of the truths found in God's word. Continue to be established in the truth of God's Word. Continue to be stirred up to love and good deeds in light of God's word, that you would not just hear the word of God and then walk away with more information, but that you would walk away transformed by the good news of the gospel, going out and fulfilling the call that God has placed on each of our lives, and then exercising your ministry to remind others of these same truths of God's word, these precious promises, these exceedingly great promises found in the truth of scripture. This morning, I want to give us three reasons or four reasons why all of us need to be reminded of God's word always. The first reason is this, is because we need reminders because of the godless culture we live in. Temptation lurks at every corner. The temptation to fall into moral compromise or to experience moral decay uh, is there every single day. You know, uh, on June 1st, I think it was Thursday, my Google calendar informed me that it was Pride Month, LGBTQ plus Pride Month. And then you open the word of God and you're reminded that Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We need to be reminded of the truth of God's word. We need to stand upon the truth of God's word. We are not here to condone what God condemns, but we must pass it on to the next generation. And the reason I take time to share that this morning is because we as a church need to hear it out of love. We need to know that what God calls sin is sin. But the good thing about it is this. If you know what sin is, you know where you define salvation, and it's the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is also a message for love for anyone who finds themselves in an alternative lifestyle. Someone who finds themselves struggling with their gender identity or struggling with their, their God-given sexuality and what that means to express it between a man and a woman in a lifelong relationship in Christ. This is, this is a reminder that we are sharing this from a place of love so that you know the truth, so that you don't fall down the path of destruction that leads ultimately to death, but that you would find the path that leads to life and everlasting life at that. That you would be reminded of the truth that God's power, his divine power, has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need for salvation and everything you need for sanctification as you are being conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, your Savior and your Lord. Church, we need this reminder because of the culture that we live in. Secondly, the reason we need this reminder is because every day is a new day. I need to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ today, and I also need to be reminded of it in the morning. I need to be reminded of his divine power and his precious promises over and over again. I need to be reminded that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. I need to be reminded that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the deepest longing of my heart and my soul. And in the words of Peter, as he introduces the letter, I need to be reminded of my identity in Christ, that I am a slave of Jesus Christ, bought and redeemed out of the slave market of sin. And so the moment I wake up, I can't think the thoughts I need to, I want to think. I can't live the life that I want to live. I live for him, surrendered and submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ in all things. 
We need to be reminded because every day is a new day. Thirdly, we need to be reminded because while men come and go, God's word is eternal. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. And then fourthly, we need reminders because we've been called to remind others of these same truths. This morning, I want to invite you not just to be reminded of the truth, but, but to be convicted and convinced the same way Peter is of his responsibility as we are of our responsibility to remind others of the truths of God's word. My wife and I, this past week, we've just been having conversations about what does it mean to be intentional parents? Intentionally seizing every opportunity we have to pour into our children's lives, every opportunity we have to share the truth of the gospel with them or to point them to scripture. Like uh, our children right now, they don't just ask for a devotional during breakfast, they demand it. They say, when are we getting our devotional? And after our devotional, I grew up listening to, I don't know if you ever heard of it, Keys for Kids. And Keys for Kids is, is a, like a two to three minute thing. And when I grew up, it was a guy named Uncle Charlie. And I think he, he ended up recording it all the way into his 90s. But now there's a new guy recording it. So after our devotional, our girls are always like, I want to hear Keys for Kids or just that quick devotional. I mean, right now, our children are hungry. We've got a five and a three and just a little one just getting started and and so how can we seize every opportunity we don't want to miss ours and I encourage you whoever God has placed in your life don't miss yours and so first why is God's word worth building our lives upon and grounding our faith in because God's word is worth remembering and being reminded of secondly because God's word is worth believing God's word is worth believing. Let me ask you this question. If someone were to ask you, why do you choose to believe the Bible? Why do you choose to build your life upon it? Why do you choose to ground your faith in it? My prayer is that your answer is not, well, this is just what I've always done. My prayer is that you'd have a better answer than that. My prayer is, is that you, you wouldn't just say, well, it's worked for me, and so that's just what I do. You know, this is my truth. Please don't say that. When we're talking about believing the word of God as we continue to read on, Peter gives us lots of reasons why we should believe the truths of God's word. Believe it to be the inspired and errant word of God, authoritative in our lives, in our minds, in our actions, our attitudes. Peter goes on to say in verse, uh, the next verse, verse 16, for we, did, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter begins and gives us the first reason. The reason you should choose to believe in the word of God is because it's not made up of cunningly devised fables. Isn't that good news? It's not made of, of crafted mythologies and crafted fables. No, this is the, the very truth. Of God. Now, when you compare it to the religions back then, the, the Romans and the Greeks and the Persians and the Egyptians, uh, it was one thing to read these crafted uh, um, stories and, and, and fables, but when we're talking about the Word of God, we're talking about that which is truth. I don't want to believe it if it's a bunch of myths, I don't want to believe it if it's man made. I don't want to believe it if it's not truly true because who is to be pitied most? It's to be us if this stuff isn't accurate, if it's not the truth of God's word. I mean, we, we build our lives upon it. We ground our faith in it. If this is not true, what a waste to come together on a Sunday morning and sing songs of worship and praise grounded in the word of God. What a waste for us to come together under the teaching of the word of God. We're reminded it's not cunningly devised fables. And Peter clearly states this when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, when we're talking about the coming and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, these aren't fables. This is truth. Now, what coming are we talking about? Is it talking about the first coming of Christ? Possibly. 
But whenever you read about this word coming, parousia of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking ultimately about his second coming. So when Peter says, along with the apostles, we're going to declare to you the coming and power of Jesus Christ, who's coming back in glory and honor and power, we're telling you the truth, not fables, not myths. We read that in Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10 says this, and, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. This is the second coming of Christ in glory and in power, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his, uh, in his saints and to be admired, admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you, among you was believed. Peter begins, the reason you can choose to believe this Bible is because it's not made up of a bunch of crafted stories or fables or myths. Peter goes on to say, it's based in eyewitness testimony. Sometimes people come up to you and say, you're one of those Christians, Bible-believing Christians. Your faith is grounded in, in nothing. You have a blind faith. No, our faith is not... Blinded, it's grounded in the history of eyewitness accounts. The history of eyewitness who lived during the, the lifetime of other eyewitnesses who told us the truth of who God is. He goes on to say in um, the verse, verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty to his splendor, and to his glory. If you want to know whether the scriptures, especially the Old Testament scriptures, which were there for them to read during that time were true, take a look at Jesus. And you, you know why you take a look at Jesus is because all of the prophecies that you read about in the Old Testament. If you want to test whether or not the Old Testament is truly the word of God, read the prophecies and then consider whether or not Jesus fulfilled the ones that he fulfilled the first coming and then will fulfill the ones that will come in his second coming. Just take a look at the prophecies. Some scholars have estimated there are up to 300 prophecies in regards to the things that have spoke, been spoken about Jesus and Peter along with the rest of the apostles says, we've seen him, we've seen the prophecies fulfilled, he he is the revelation of the truth that has been declared in the Old Testament. And so he goes on to say, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then Peter uses a very specific example. During the ministry of Jesus, the transfiguration, it says this, verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. What does Peter declare as an eyewitness of what he saw? He declares that Jesus Christ received from God the Father honor and glory. He received, he received glory because, as we're going to read about it in a moment in Matthew 17, where it takes place, Jesus' clothes are shining forth in glory. His face is shining forth in glory. And Peter, along with James and John, get just a taste of the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. So we're not just talking about glory, but honor as the Father takes time to, uh, to, to validate and approve the son and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Let me take you back to Matthew chapter 17 because it adds context to what Peter is talking about and give, provides validity to our belief that the Bible is reliable and the Bible is true. Matthew 17 reads this way. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. This is the honor that the son is receiving from the father. And his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, who's there? Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. 
Now, Moses and Elijah are very important people in the Old Testament. Moses is a representation of the law. Uh, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. And when we're talking about the law and the prophets, Elijah is a representation of the prophets. And so you have these two individuals who are representatives of the revelation of the truth of God in his word to his people. And then verse four, it says, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Peter's got an idea. He says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles. <laughs> Three tabernacles for you. One for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter says, let's continue this on. In verse five, it says, while he was still seeking, behold, a bright light cloud overshadowed them. Peter, James, and John are here to witness this. And this is what he's talking about. And suddenly a voice came from a cloud. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then listen to what he says next. Hear him. Who's there? Moses, Elijah, Jesus, and three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And the Father says, hear him. Who's he talking to? Not just Peter, James, and John. He's talking to Elijah, and he's talking to Moses. Listen up to who Jesus is. Jesus is not just the fulfillment of the law and prophets. Jesus is not just the one the Old Testament law and prophet pointed to as Jesus fulfills it. No, Jesus is the final revelation of the truth of God. Jesus is not one among Moses and Elijah. He is the greater one. He is the Christ. And so if you want to know what the truth is, get to know Jesus. And Peter says this, I know him. I was a witness to the works and the words of Jesus. I was a witness to the miracle and the message of Jesus. And I can declare to you, I saw the honor and glory he received from the Father. And what Peter says, these are not a bunch of made-up fables. This is grounded in history in these eyewitness testimonies. And the reason you can believe the Bible is because it is reliable and because it is so why should you build your life and ground your faith on the truth of God's word because it's worth believing not a bunch of fables or specially crafted stories if I could give us a couple takeaways the first would be this the manner in which we are invited to believe is not with blind faith what is what is talked about here is the reminder that the coming of Jesus Christ in glory is not wishful thinking for the believer. It is a certain expectation and a reality that it will come to pass. In the words of Fanny Crosby, blessed assurance, she says it so well, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Listen to verse two. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture. Now burst onto sight, angels descending, bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is our blessed assurance, folks. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior and happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his Listen, the word of God is worth believing because it is a not blind faith. It's grounded in the reality of truth. Uh, Vodi Bakum, I was watching a, um, something that he wrote or spoke about some years back, and I saved his comment on this, and I always go back to it, and this is my first time preaching through Second Peter, and so I thought I'd share this quote with you. He says this, I choose to believe the Bible because it is the re a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events which took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and they claim to be divine rather than human in origin. This morning, we are invited to give an answer for the hope that we have. When someone asks you, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you ground your faith in it? Why do you build your life upon it? My prayer is that you would give, be able to give a solid answer in response. And then thirdly, the manner which we are invited to believe is surrendered to the Lord. I had a friend in seminary who uh, was a, uh, a news reporter 
prior to coming to seminary. And I remember hearing his testimony and him telling me his story. And he said he was a skeptic by nature. And so when he started to lean into the truths of the word of God and of scripture, he asked, he had a lot of questions. And so over a number of months, six months, he connected with a pastor and he would ask him questions every week, have all of his questions prepared. And as the pastor would answer the questions to the best of his abilities, this individual finally came to the end of six months and said, even if I had all my questions answered, it still would not be enough for me. And at that moment, he was saying, this pastor is doing a great job answering the questions. What I need more of is not answers to my questions. What I need to do is simply surrender my heart to the Lord. And he surrendered his heart to the Lord and the truth of the word of God. And today, he's not only a follower of Christ, he's a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching the good news to the ends of the earth. It also reminds me of Billy Graham. You think of a guy like Billy Graham and the impact and the influence he had, but there was a time in his ministry where he questioned during his ministry the authority of the word of God. And and, uh, uh, we get to hear a little bit of a story. It goes this way. Before his ministry became known worldwide, Billy Graham came to a moment that changed everything. He was struggling with accepting by faith the authority of the word of God. At a secluded wooded retreat, he knelt before God and prayed, and here was his prayer. Here and now, by faith, I accept the Bible as your word. I take it all. I take it without reservation where there are things I can't understand. I will reserve judgment until I receive more light. If this pleases you, give me authority as I proclaim your word, and through that authority, convict me of sin and turn sinners to the Savior. And God used Billy Graham's submission to the Lordship of Christ and the authority of his word to go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth as many came to faith through his ministry Believe the word of God simply by surrendering to the truth therein. So why is God's word worth building your life upon and grounding your faith in? It's worth remembering, it's worth believing, and as we wrap up this morning, it's worth heeding and therefore obeying. Peter finishes up in the next verse. Sticky pages. Verse 19 says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Why is the word of God worth heeding? Why is it worth paying attention to? Why is it worth obeying? Because the prophetic word has been confirmed by these eyewitness accounts. God's word is reliable and true. All the prophecies of of old have been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ and these apostles among others who followed Jesus will tell you by their eyewitness account that it came to pass. You know, as I said earlier, some scholars suggest that there are over 300 prophecies. I, I wanted to read just to you a few of the ones that Christ fulfilled. The Messiah would be born a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. Of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, verse 10. Of the lineage of David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. In the city of Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. His ministry would be introduced by a forerunner who would speak in the spirit and the power of Elijah, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 5, and Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. This was fulfilled, of course, through John the Baptist. Other prophecies speak of his ministry. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. 61, 1 through 2. His miracles, Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. I'm just listening listening them to you quickly. And his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Psalm 22, written hundreds of years before the crucifixion, was known as a means of execution, describes his death on a cross. Isn't that amazing? That psalm also describes the taunts of his accusers in verse 8 and the soldiers casting lots for his garments in verse 18. Isaiah 53 also describes Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Listen, the reason we should heed the word of God, not just believing it, but heeding it, paying close attention to it, and therefore walking in obedience to it is because the prophetic word of God has been confirmed through these eyewitness accounts. God's word is reliable and God's word is true. Secondly, as he continues, it says, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in the darkness. The reason we should heed it is because it's a light that shines and leads us and guides us. 
It says, in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus uh, said in the gospel of John, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. You're fumbling around in the darkness of the world around you, whether it be because of sin or you may be trying to fumble around, take hold of this religion or that philosophy offered to you in this world. Jesus said, believe in me and you will have the light of life. You will not walk in darkness any longer. Jesus is that light. He is the light unto our feet, the lamp unto our path. He's not just a fulfillment of scripture. He's the final revelation of scripture and the truth of the word of God. And therefore we should heed it. What does it mean that the morning star shall rise in our hearts and God's word and the truth of it continues to guide us and lead us? It's speaking of Jesus Christ. As we await his second coming and his return when he comes in glory and honor and power. He came the first time as a suffering servant. He's coming the second time as a conquering king. And we look forward to his arrival. Revelation 22.16 says this about the morning star. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The reason we should heed the word of God is because Jesus is the light. He is the truth. And then finally, as we wrap up the text in verse 20, he goes on to say this, knowing this verse, this is of utmost importance. When he says this is of first utmost importance, as believers, our ears should perk up. Let me listen in a little bit more carefully. He says, knowing first this, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Listen, folks, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't just open up the word of God and say that it's saying anything we want it to. Our job when it comes to approaching the word of God is treating it as the word of God and reading what it has to say, but also understanding how it was intended to be understood. And we're not going to go into a long process of how you go about getting the true meaning behind the text, but if I could offer just a few applications. The first one is whenever you read the scriptures, read it in context. Take a look at the surrounding verses and the surrounding chapter and the entire book and then take a look at it in the context of the whole of Scripture. Get a hold of a concordance and consider where is this topic spoken of elsewhere in Scripture as you continue to get to know what the Word of God says and what the Word of God means. And so it's not from any private interpretation, but that doesn't mean that none of us can study the Bible and only the pastor does, right? Yeah. Everybody can study the word of God. Everyone can dig into the scriptures and through a process of observation and interpretation, discover what the word of God says as the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, guiding us, and directing us in it. Knowing first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. This is what the inspiration of scripture means, if you've ever wondered. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by God. What in the world does that mean? Peter clarifies, he says, for prophecy never came by the will of man. The scriptures didn't come because some guy had an idea and said, hey, I'm going to write, write something in regards to what I have to say. No, it never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the whole, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The reason you and I should heed the word of God is in the Bible is because this is not a man-made book. If it is, I don't want anything to do with it. Rather, it's a book written by men, inspired by God himself. Isn't it amazing as you read the scriptures, if you read it from cover to cover, it's amazing the consistency behind it. If someone was going to make this up, I mean, it would be almost downright impossible. Let me read to you this. The Bible is a masterpiece. Listen to this carefully. 66 books written by 40 different authors written on three different continents over nearly 1,500 years, and all of it's pointing to one central hero, Jesus Christ. You can't make that one up. In the Old Testament, Jesus is foretold 
In the Gospels, he is revealed. In the Epistles, he is explained. In Revelation, he is anticipated. The Bible is, from the very beginning, the story of Jesus and his great redemption for humanity. And even in the old tales, in the Old Testament, before anyone knew his name, he was right there. In Luke 24, 27, we're reminded on the road to Emmaus, everything in the Old Testament is about him. These Old Testament tales are pointing beyond themselves, anticipating, foreshadowing, revealing. They are signposts along the road to a greater and truer reality that is found in Jesus. And every story in the word of God whispers his name. The Bible is a masterpiece. And because of that, we're invited to heed the word of God. Pay close attention to the word of God. We are invited to believe the word of God. We are invited to know the word of God and be stirred up in it and established in it and be reminded of it and to remind others of it. Let me tell you, my prayer is that if you didn't walk in with the conviction that God's word is worth believing, that God's word is worth building your life upon, that God's word is worth grounding your faith in, that you would walk out today with the assurance of knowing that this word is true, that you would be reminded of the truths and that you would walk in what you find therein. This morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, the invitation is to get to know him. If you want to get to know Jesus, get to know him in his word. It all reveals him. And what you'll learn about Jesus is Jesus is the sinless son of God who came from heaven to earth who lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death and offers salvation as a free gift to anyone who will receive it. This morning, the invitation is to come to Jesus. Admit your need for him. Believe that he redeemed you out of the slave market of sin and spend eternity with God and his people forever and ever. If you're a believer here today, continue to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Continue to ground your faith in his word and continue to build your life upon the truths found therein. Can we pray? Father in heaven, we come before you today with great gratitude and thanksgiving for Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we know him through the revelation of your word. We declare this morning as a church that Jesus is not just a fulfillment of scripture, he is the final revelation of it. And Father, this morning we look to Jesus and we thank you for him. Father, for anyone who doesn't know Jesus today but wants to express their desire to know him and to receive the gift of salvation, I pray that they can express this genuinely in their heart of hearts. Father, I recognize my need for Jesus. I know that I'm separated from God because of my sin, but I know that's why Jesus came to bridge the gap. Today, I make Jesus my savior. I make him my Lord, the one I'm gonna follow all the days of my life into eternity. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for everlasting life in your name. Father, I pray that you would give each of our hearts the conviction that your word is true. Thank you for the letter of 2 Peter. We pray that it would continue to encourage our hearts this day, the rest of this week, as we get to share the truths of it with others. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.